Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hey folks, welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast with InsureMark. My name is Jack Martin. I serve as the virtual CMO for InsureMark, and I want to thank you for taking time to listen to our podcast. Um, This is the Breakthrough Advisor podcast where elite advisors come uh, to gain insights, tools, and and techniques for helping them take their business to another level. And today we've got Lawrence Black, who's the co-founder of the Index Standard. Uh, The Index Standard has been a great partner for InsureMark. uh, they they do amazing work. They're they're the only third party uh, I'm aware of in the marketplace that that is bringing transparency to how all of these indices that we work with in FIAs and RILAs, how these indices actually work. So welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast, Lawrence. Thank you very much, Jack. And that was a great intro. I almost don't need to say anything. <laughs> Well, you you have a lot to say, so let, let's get to it. So, for starters, yeah, uh, for folks who don't know, you were on Wall Street for a long time, okay? So maybe you could catch them up on on a little bit of that and what you're doing, you know, that still brings you in contact with them. But I'm really interested in in the transition. I mean, this seems like you're you're changing planets, you know, to move from Wall Street to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. So help our audience understand a little bit about how, how that's helping you take your business and life to the next level. Thank you, Jack. So, you know, the way I think about it in my terms, I'm sort of a little bit like I was a poacher. I spent 20 years developing and designing indices, and I've now become a gamekeeper. I'm sort of evaluating these indices. So that's what we're trying to do. And at the index standard, as you said, we're a little bit like a mini Morningstar. We evaluate the indices and we provide forecasts. Now, the reason I founded the index standard is two reasons. One is I'm really passionate about helping people do better. I want people to retire with more money in their pocket. And, you know, I've also seen the dangers of retiring uh, with all your money invested in one asset class. You know, my father suffered from a sequence of losses. So it's a passion, but it's also personal. Um, And then secondly, you know, I'm using my expertise that I built up on Wall Street. I spent a number of years as a bond trader and then most of my career developing and designing indices. So what we're doing is we're helping people decode this complexity. You know, when I was doing speeches on Wall Street or once I left, I would get a lot of questions like, how does this risk control feature work? What does MVO stand for? All these complex uh, concepts. And we're trying to help demystify, make it easy for people to understand what's going on. Gotcha. Got you. So um, let our audience know a little bit about, um, you know, you you started with the uh, index reports uh, and and then you added the forecast reports. So catch them up a little bit on on what what they'll what they'll find in those when they when they come to InsureMark to get them. Yeah, fantastic. So we've been around for actually coming up almost four years. We started off with um, rating and evaluating each index used in an annuity all these complex indices that have these terms like risk control. So what we do there is we apply a rating and we go from platinum 
gold, silver, bronze, and so on. And those four categories I mentioned are our top rating. If you see an index that has those ratings, that actually means they're all pretty solid. So that was the first thing we've been doing. Then what we did was a couple of years ago, we added forecasting. What we do is we take the wisdom of Wall Street and we apply it directly to each index to help give you or your advisors a sense of what's going to be or what could be coming down in the future. Now, what we do is we take 10-year forecasts from major asset managers. We take about 35 of them. We aggregate them. And then we just apply that to each index. Now, you know, in my career developing and designing indices, I've seen this sort of obsession with back tests. And in the insurance industry, we see a lot of illustrations. And I think it's, it can be useful. But as we all know, the future is different. And it's a little bit like when you're driving your car. You don't drive your car looking in the rearview mirror. When you're driving your car, you look through the front windscreen. So what we're doing is we're providing that alternative view. We're giving you the front windscreen and you can use that in combination with your rear view mirror. And as one of our clients said to me, you know what? The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. So that's what we've been doing. And then our most latest innovation that our team has been working on, and it's it's really a fantastic team effort by Jay, Branislav and Trent. We've been working on taking our forecasts and using these to create model allocations for FIAs. So one of the biggest challenges a lot of financial professionals face out there is once you've chosen an annuity, you might have to choose from 15 lines. You have to allocate. And a lot of the times, you know, we'll all know the S&P, but you might not know XYZ Bank 5% Risk Control Index, ABC Bank 5% Risk Control Index, which one shall I allocate to? Which one's going to get me the highest returns? Well, that's hard to do. Well, what we do is we forecast a net, uh, a net credit, what you may expect from each crediting line. And then we just simply choose the highest and we allocate to those and we ensure there's diversification and we save you time. You don't have to think about it too much. It's a complex thing. We've done a lot of the hard work. We give you a base allocation that you can start off and have a conversation with your client, whether they're a little bit more risk adverse or they're actually seeking higher returns and you can use our allocations as a good starting point for a conversation. So uh, you, you said a lot there. Let's, let, let's stop and unpack a little bit of that. So for starters, the the forecast reports that, that you're doing um, are, are, are based on, I think, two big pieces, right? The first piece is understanding what the moving parts are in the index, what the rules are around those, um, and, and the the types of asset classes that they're going to be invested in, right? Um, and then you're taking uh, what what the 35, 30 or 35 banks are saying they think is going to happen over the next few years um, and looking at how those, those rules would play out, uh, how those different assets would play out. Do I have that about right? No, you do. Exactly correct, Jack. So, so for each index, let me go a little bit more in depth here. So what we do for each, for each index, Jack, is we do a 23andMe DNA analysis. So we want to understand, almost like in an x-ray, what is going on with each index. So we analyze each index on its sort of DNA strands. And that might be that your ethnicity is Irish, German, Polish, or Nigerian. So we do the same thing for each index. We analyze on three main financial market DNAs, which are stocks, bonds, 
and commodities. And then what we do is we then understand for each index what exposure they have to those three major asset classes. And then we pick up the expected returns for those three major asset classes, stocks, bonds, and commodities from Wall Street. So we have what they think these, those major asset classes may do in the next 10 years. And then we just simply bring it together in a sort of almost think about this as like a sum product. So we can then apply the wisdom of Wall Street to each index. So we call that a raw index forecast. And that helps you sort of look forward. Now, as, as a lot of your listeners will know, unfortunately, when you look at a crediting strategy, it's not that simple because you have a situation where they might say, for example, you can buy the S&P 500 or you can allocate it to the S&P 500, but you're only going to get 35% or 40% or 50%. So what we simply do now is we take our raw index forecast and let's take a simple example. Let's say 5%. What we will then do is apply the par rate, let's say in this case, 200%. So we simply go five times two equals, potentially you may expect a net forecast credit of 10%. And we model that out. We thought it would actually be that simple. And it actually took, a, I thought it would be a four week project. It's taken us 18 months because it's so complex. You have to line up all the crediting strategies, all the power rates, every single chassis out there. So a little, more, a little bit more complex than we expected, but we've now got there. So what we do at the index standard, we now have 4,000 crediting lines where we can tell you what is the net forecast credit for each line in the whole industry. And then what we do is for each FIA chassis, we apply um, an allocation. So just like in, if you've got an ETF model, you might've seen ETF model portfolios. We're actually just doing FIA model portfolios because sometimes at an FIA, as I said, it's really difficult to choose from 15 lines. You may have 50% to the S&P, 200% to ABC index, 350% to XYZ, 5% risk control index. A lot of these indices are very unfamiliar, so it's hard to allocate. What we simply do is we line up all the net forecast credits. We simply pick the five highest or the four highest, and then we produce two model allocations. So we want to save financial professionals time. We provide you with a very good starting point for a conversation with your clients. Here are two allocations. You can either take them or have a conversation with your client or be, and begin to adjust them based on your client's preferences. So. The the report that that um, that you prepared for the model allocations is literally going to take a specific product. It's going to take uh, the uh, interest crediting uh, elements for that month, uh, the par rate, the fee, the spread, whatever the, those components are, and then push through your forecasted index uh, performance, right? Jack, you're exactly correct. We do that every month. We take every single crediting strategy out there. We, we take our raw forecasts and we model out the power rate, the fees, the caps and the floors. And we just turn that very complex discussion. Should I take 50% of the S&P or 200% of XYZ bank index? We just turn that into an apples to apples number. We say for the S&P, you might get five or 6% and on net credited basis, 
or for the risk control index, it might be six or 7%, whatever the case is. We just turn that into a simple one number forecast. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. Uh, I meant to ask you earlier. So the, this thing about the wisdom of Wall Street. So um, is is it how how reliable are those? I mean, it seems to me like you know you read the headlines in in the Wall Street Journal or something, and they're they're saying you know the the S and P is going to be at fifty thousand by December, you know, and you get to December and it's you know a fraction of that or something. So um how, how can we rely on these what, what's your experience yeah that's exactly the right question to ask jack so let me make two let, let me make two observations firstly number one in the short term it's incredibly difficult to forecast and as you say all the wall street banks try and produce a year-end s&p 500 forecast and most of the time they're wrong now However, over the long long term, you have a better chance of success. Now, we've actually thought about exactly the question you asked. So what we did was we actually went and researched it. Let me give you an example. For example, we went and found the forecast from 2008. And then we said, how did that forecast look in 2018? And what we compared that forward-looking forecast was the 10-year illustration. So in 2008, we said, what was the past 10 years from 1998? And then we compared the two, the forecast versus the illustration. And what we found is that it's actually better to look at the forecasts. They're actually more accurate. In equities, there's a pronounced trend. However, in fixed income, the forecasts are amazingly accurate. So if they're, now, there's actually a piece of, re, piece of research from a guy called Chris Brightman, um, who works at a company called uh, Rafi, which is Research Affiliates. And he's found that there is a very high correlation in fixed income to your starting yield, to your ending yield. And that's actually true. So, for example, you look at the 10-year uh, today, it's hovering in the sort of high threes, low, low 4%. So, in 10 years' time, if that's my yield, I could expect 4%. This um, this researcher found there's a very high correlation between that starting yield and your forecast yield. So we actually feel very good that our forecasts do provide a very reliable alternative tool to looking at the illustrations. And wow. what I'm not also saying is I'm not saying don't rely on the forecast or the back test. I think you, you need three things. One is you need the back test. Two is you need the forecast and you need a bit of judgment. But we provide you with that forward-looking element to help you with your judgment. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, uh, and that's fascinating. Uh, your your observation on backtest versus forecast, and the thing about bonds—that's really interesting. So, since you've been, um, you spent the last eighteen months analyzing, you know, fixed indexed annuities and the chassis, etc. So, have you seen anything interesting in the way these products are designed that that could help an advisor, you know, do a better job for their client? Yeah, that's a great question. So, we found one thing that surprised me, and I think it's a sort of industry perception. So I, before this project began, when I was looking at a, at a crediting strategy and I would see two options, let's say I can get 50% of an index or I could pay a 1% fee and get a higher power rate, maybe 
I always thought, well, it makes sense to go with, with the low fee or the, no, or the no fee product. I mean, we've kind of all conditioned to that within ETFs. Everyone tells you, oh, you've always got to take the low fee ETF. So I was conditioned to that thinking. Now, what we've done, and I say it's we, it's the royal we, we've got a lot of uh, quants on our team, and they've gone and modeled that out. And I was kind of surprised by the findings. What we found was that actually to pay, let's say, the 1% fee and get a higher par rate, in, in most of the times, that actually gives you a higher expected return. So that kind of surprised me, and I think it surprised the rest of the team as well. So we sort of dug into that. And what we, what we think is, as long as you believe markets are going to go up, that means you want to get that higher participation in that upside. So it actually kind of intuitively made sense to us. But, you know, we had been conditioned to thinking about this whole low fee ETF mantra that we got kind of caught up in that. But, you know, what we often say is we just let the data speak to us. And that's what we found. Yeah, that 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 you're absolutely right. You know, the the whole and, and part of it is the regulators. I mean, the regulators say low no fee is is the right choice for the consumer. But um, you know, that's not necessarily going to give them the optimal outcome. So that, that that's a good point. Anything else you find in the data that, that might help uh, the advisor uh, in, in uh, guiding his clients? Yeah, there's one other thing that's been on top of my mind um, is, is the following. You know, everyone talks a little bit about these risk control indices and there's, you know, there's some negative perceptions, but I think there's one really, really important thing that people don't think about. And it's the following with the S and P, it can be wildly volatile at times. You can think back to March, 2020 when it dropped 33%. So if you think about the S and P being wildly volatile, you know, you need to actually have really good timing skills to pick that to produce high credits for your clients. Now, if we could all time markets perfectly, we'd all be running big hedge funds and be multi-billionaires. But frankly, we're not. So that tells you how incredibly difficult it is. So with the risk control index, you actually, I feel, have to worry less about timing because they're, they're cushioned and they're smoothed. And they're much more consistent. You can kind of just sort of average in and you should do okay. Whereas with the S&P, you know, if you do get your timing right, fantastic. You're going to get a very high credit for your client. But let's say you had a client who came to you in December 21 and you allocated to the S&P. You know, you're still underwater today and you probably will be for a while. So I think that's the, the thing that I've learned uh, over the last um, couple months about these risk control indices, there's a lot less timing risk. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so Peter Lynch was a pretty good investment uh, manager. And I think he says something like more money has been lost in when people try and time the market than by market volatility. So, you know, it's he's a pretty smart guy. And I think the data holds bears that out, right? Yeah, hey, exactly. so- so uh, let's kind of bring this thing home. Uh, the 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 world has been a little crazy from a financial market perspective the last year or so. I mean, clearly, you know what happened to Ukraine. Uh, clearly, what's happening with interest rates, you know, globally. 
you know, a lot of people are are talking about, you know, continuing central bank interest rate, uh, you know, increases and and the constriction of money supply, and that that that's kind of changing the landscape a little bit. So, what what's your view on what's happening out there, or, or what are you seeing from, uh, you know, the your banks and and their forecasts and so on? What 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 directionally? You know, should should we be taking away out of out of what's happening in the headlines? You know, I think a couple observations, Jack. One, just from a personal point of view, is one is we all have recency bias, so we always give more weight to what's happened in the most recent past. And I think everyone is still in that mindset where tech has done incredibly well, and I want to be buying tech, or I want to buy the Nasdaq, or I want to buy the S and P five hundred, which has got a lot of tech exposure, and. What we're seeing from the wisdom of Wall Street, it, it, it really makes sense to be very diversified right now. So, you know, I think to be an investor, you to, well, to be a successful investor, you have to be a little bit of a contrarian. You have to buy when you feel uncomfortable, you have to buy when markets are down. And what we see from the wisdom of Wall Street is three key things I'd like to point out. Number one, expected returns for European equities are higher. Now, that kind of surprises you, right? Everyone's got such a negative perception in Europe. Oh, aging population, low, low growth. Uh, there's a war in Ukraine. But Wall Street expects higher returns. And that's primarily because European valuations are much lower. Secondly, uh, expected returns for emerging markets are higher. Again, and this kind of makes sense because I don't know if anyone on your call may or may not know, but for the last... 10 years, emerging markets essentially have been flat. They've returned nothing. So, you know, after you've had a bad 10 years, things may get better. So you think a lot of there's a lot of innovation in, uh, in uh, Asia. Maybe that's going to help drive returns. Chinese equities have had a terrible time. They've dropped a lot. They're looking very cheap. So we see um, emerging markets expected returns as actually double digits, pretty high. And then the final thing, a little bit, a little bit obvious, but important to note is that expected returns on fixed income much higher. We're seeing sort of forecasts for the ag at around three, four, five percent, which is a lot higher in the last couple of years when they've been sub below one percent. So I think it really points to being very diversified. Don't just put all your money into one asset class. Be diverse out there. You know, as you, you alluded to it, right? We're in a very changing world. The last 10 years, we had low inflation, low interest rates, globalization, tech did very well. There's a lot of headwinds to all those things, right? Tech's got a lot of regulation. We see and feel the deglobalization of the war in Ukraine. Rates are higher. And certainly living in Manhattan, I am feeling uh, inflation with a coffee and a pastry at $12. It shocks me. So we're all feeling it. So what, if you feel that the future is going to be different, why are you allocating to what worked in the last 10 years? That's not going to work. You've got to be diverse. Think about the future. Gotcha. Hey, there was a uh, – while I've got you here, there, there, there was an article I saw in the Wall Street Journal uh, last weekend, uh, maybe a little bit before that, uh, and, and it introduced a concept I've, I've never heard of, and that's TINA. 
uh, acronym for there is no alternative. And, and so that it's all about you got to be in stocks, you got to be in US, you got to be in large cap, you got to be in tech, there is no alternative. And this the theme of this article was that uh, a lot of wealth managers and asset managers are setting that aside, um, going into different asset classes. So are, are we starting to see different things, alternatives, commodities, though, uh, you know, crypto, those kinds of things in, in indices yet? Um, and in your reports, could an advisor, you know, follow some breadcrumbs if he wanted to add some of that to, to a client's uh, accounts? Yeah, absolutely, Jack. I think you're right. Number one, there are there there are some good alternatives with bonds giving higher yields. You certainly want to think about that commodities. And actually, it's a great question because what we're seeing a couple of trends is we've seen a lot more commodities uh, strategies being built into the indices used in annuities. So absolutely, you can find good sources of alternatives. And then you know the trend that we've seen over the last six months is. A lot of the indices being launched have the ability to go short. So that means that if the price of an asset class goes down, the index will actually profit. So we're seeing a bit of that. We're seeing indices that have got commodities with shorts. So I think they're trying that they realize that it's going to be a much more complex uh, macro environment. So they've built indices to try and adapt and actually profit from commodities if they go up or profit if markets go down. So, um, yeah, you're seeing a lot more alternative type indices in annuities. And that's actually wonderful because, you know, previously those kind of indices were only available to sophisticated institutional investors. And now we can go all get access to that. So the um, your your in your index reports, are, are those going to have indications of uh, what those participation strategies are like for shorts and commodities and so on? Yes. Okay. In, in our rating report, we actually describe what you need to know and how the index works. Now, we aim to keep it short and punchy, but we will tell you whether there's commodities included and whether the index is going short. Uh, so we tell you that. And then actually in our new model allocation reports, we have some index descriptions. So you can pick all that up from our reports. So I, I hate to ask questions I don't don't know the answer to because you don't know where it's going to go. But uh, so your your model allocations, if the, those are tied to forecasts and the forecasts for these types of alternatives, commodities, et cetera, uh, are you know the directionally where Wall the Wall Street thinks we're going. So we could expect in your model allocation to see some of these new. Uh, alternative kinds of index strategies then, right? Yes, exactly. So, you know, w what we see is some of these new indices, you may do reasonably well because they're very diverse. Some of them have got what's called multi-assets. They've got a little bit of exposure to US, European, and emerging markets. And as I said earlier, we expect higher returns in Europe and emerging markets. So that could lift the level of expected returns. And some of them have got allocations to uh, commodities. Again, if commodities do well, you might get some higher returns. And some of them have the ability to go short. So if markets go down, they can profit. So we think it really makes sense to blend in these risk control indices with your favorite benchmark indices. You know, we're not, we're not saying discard them. 
but you can certainly blend in more diversification because what you really want to do, I think, is produce consistent credits for your clients because that allows them to compound on a higher number and compounding is how we all get rich. So you want to get your clients positive credit and then compound. And we think these risk control indices can play an important part in doing that. Uh, Lawrence, this has been a fantastic session. Thank you very much for spending the time to help our listeners understand this complex world of indexes uh, as they as they live in our FIAs and RIVAs and so on. Great job. We really appreciate the work you and your company are doing and give our best to all of the team there. Hey, folks, uh, on behalf of the uh, Breakthrough Advisor podcast and Insuremark, I want to thank you for taking time to join us today. Uh, this has been Lawrence Black, the co-founder of the Index Standard. Um, you can, uh, of course, catch this podcast any place where your podcasts are uh, hosted please like share comment uh and we we really appreciate the social influence so with that uh anything to close lawrence no thank you jack it was great to join you again and i hope to do it soon all right thanks folks i really appreciate it have a great day Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 